You remember on Arrested Development when uh, George Senior, I forget the context of it, but they had he originally created and marketed uh, something called a cornballer. Yeah, that was back when Arrested Development was good. Yeah, although in thinking back about it, maybe maybe not as consistent as we might have thought. Similar thing with Thirty Rock, but we we won't really get into it too much. But yeah, I'm thinking. I don't know. I might own a Breville cornballer because. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, th- I assume everybody has a lot on their minds these days, but uh, yeah, I was not paying very much attention uh, earlier this week and when I was um, heating up a Trader Joe's pizza in my new expanded um, Breville Smart Oven Pro. The Pro is, is the key part there. Sure. Oh, I burned myself pretty bad there because I was not mm. paying attention. So um, yeah, I definitely, I definitely got cornballed and <laughs> I had a very, I had to look up the clip on um, on YouTube and uh, I had a very similar reaction to the infomercial where George Sr. uh uh, goes nuts next to Richard Simmons. So I, if it's too personal, you don't have to say, but where did you burn yourself? It wasn't, and I shouldn't overstate it, but like, it was just very much like where, like, it's not like I'm, uh, I've become like d- uh, disfigured or anything, but no, I just, um, because the handle and stuff is in a slightly different spot than where I was used to on the old one. No, I just, I just rested my wrist a little bit on it for like a second and a half. And you have that whole delayed thing where you don't realize you're burning yourself until it's too late. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. I shouldn't be laughing. I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, it's fine. Like, again, it's, it's a no harm, no foul, as they say. Mm, right. Um, but yeah, I, I just immediately thought of the cornball. I'm like, oh yeah, that, that, that show had its moments. It did. Yeah. You want to start the show? Oh uh, yeah. I'll, when I want to clear record. Mm-hmm. Do I have to pay you royalties for that line? Maybe. Yeah, you. Yeah, you, you probably do. <laughs> you can. Uh, you can leave the money under uh, the, my doormat. Yeah. Again, I'm probably on some kind of watch list. <laughs> That's the whole reason why I have a, a Google a paid Google Apps account because I don't want Google to ever one day just delete my account for some random terms of service violation like they would a free account. <laughs> That's probably unfounded paranoia, but also it's probably founded. Um, all right. Uh, what was it? Oh, yeah, it's not that funny. Okay. Do you want to jump in a follow-up or yeah, do you let's have do anything? It. Uh, I, the only, the only comment I was going to make at the top is that this is the first Wednesday in, I'm going to say the last seven or eight weeks that it's not 85 degrees while we're trying to do the podcast. So that, that's kind of nice. It it is quite the opposite. Where I actually went out because I've been having kind of a bit not of a lazy day and uh, like a just kicking back and relaxing type of thing, but just lazy in terms of like sedentary and haven't really left my desk at all. So I went for uh, an outdoor walk around eight o'clock. It's like fifty five degrees outside and it's very windy. Mm-hmm. So it it is the polar opposite, literally the polar yeah. opposite mm-hmm. of um, mm-hmm. of the prior weeks. Where yeah, it it just all of a sudden like for some reason it's still like eighty five degrees at um nine o'clock on uh on any given wednesday yeah only only wednesdays mm-hmm. i wonder if i owe bill simmons money for that <laughs> i i <clears throat> i stumbled across that on my tivo where i had, I had an old episode of any given wednesdays i stuck and i'm like oh yeah he had a tv show for like six weeks yeah that didn't that didn't really uh land as they say okay i have the last thing that i'm going to talk about and then i'm just going to kick back and you can you can carry the rest of the show um, this is mostly a teaser for next week, mm. but, um, you know the thing in the, in the Walter Isaacson biography of Steve Jobs, where they, he wrote that he, uh, Steve Jobs thought he had cracked, uh, cracked TV finally. Yeah. I incorrectly used that quote on an episode 
a handful of weeks ago. Oh, did you get did you get some uh, some corrections or some follow up emails? I, I forget what I did. I think I like attributed it to Tim Cook or something. I don't know. I did something stupid, but but yes, <laughs> I I know what you're talking about. You've been hard on yourself the past couple of weeks. I mean, you you, you were profoundly wrong about the arm transition thing, I but was yeah, de- I think deeply and profoundly wrong. <laughs> gotta gotta be gotta be kinder to yourself. I'm uh, I'm a little shook, as they say. People don't say that anymore. They they say things slap now. <laughs> is is that what that means? No, things a slapping means it's good. Like you would say, like the the chicken sandwich from Popeye slaps. Is for some reason that's the, that's the one. That was one of the first instances where I read that phrase, and it was on Twitter, and it stuck with me. And people are right; that is a great chicken sandwich. But um, yeah, I, I'm I'm not really ever gonna get on board with things slapping. Oh, talking about, oh yes, uh, Steve Jobs. <laughs> How did that happen? So yeah, the whole uh, he cracked TV thing. Uh, even though this is unrelated, but I keep thinking of that quote. Uh, I think I've cracked milk frothing, mm. and I got. More, I'll have more to say over the next couple of days, uh, online, offline, and Slack, and, and more on the show next week. But, um, yeah, I, I think I've got it, and I think there might be some um, some solid movement forward on latte art. And I don't know. All 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 I'm going to say is that I I may have created the smoothest and uh, airiest latte that has ever existed at five o'clock. So I'm, I'm interested to hear what your, your method is. I feel like my lattes come out fairly well. The art part, however, um, I haven't put a lot of practice into that, but the couple of attempts that I've made have not been successful. Yeah. The one thing that I will tease, uh, to get people to tune in next week is that, the way that I have, because I, I sent you a YouTube video because I was, I, I had a little bit of a lull in the middle of the day and I was like, you know, I, I really want to figure this out because here's the other thing. I, I was also kind of bummed that I wasn't able to do latte art. So on Amazon, I ordered uh latte stencils where you can just use cocoa powder and try to make something on the top of it to make it look cute if you're incapable of doing latte art. And I also failed at that. So I've been feeling pretty, um, pretty down recently because <laughs> i failed at even the cheater method like I, I couldn't even bill check it and that was really disappointing you put cocoa in your lattes i don't but that's the only thing that you can really put like because there you can put like cinnamon like basically to make because i've sent you that picture and I, I don't i don't feel like looking it up but there's a thing at the uh cafe inside of pixar where they will sometimes put like pixar characters on the top of the foam of like a cappuccino or a latte mm-hmm and you would just kind of sprinkle either like cinnamon or cocoa powder or something on it to make that happen. Hmm. That's 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 all like that's the thing. Otherwise, I don't know what else you would use to make like to dust over the stencil thing. But I yeah. But in it, uh, long story short, I also failed at that. So gonna go back to basics with latte art. And then the the but yeah. The, so the tease is that the one time I tried it because again I I, w- I was out of milk, so I only had one shot at it. But it um the uh, milk steaming wand thing is like 40 decibels quieter if you use it this way. So I think I may have just been doing it wrong the entire time. Or maybe it was just the pressure of knowing that it was your only shot given that you had run out of milk. Maybe, but I don't think it's like a brave little toaster situation. So I don't think the barista express is, um, uh, alive and has feelings. <laughs> that's that's hurtful. Hmm? 
the 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 breville is offended well i mean because the breville doesn't have a name it's it's not like it's not like roomba like i mean he's uh he's got a personality but um what's your what's your roomba's name again wally no yeah that's that's a gimme i should have known that come on man i know i know and yours is called bluey or something um we're gonna we'll we'll revisit the the Roomba setup. Uh, speaking of teases, actually, maybe in uh, next week's episode. I've been sitting on a, a Roomba related topic. Did you buy one of those i seven ones, the ones that empties itself and will like climb stairs and? Well, you can't, you know, Carlos in the in the business with a tease. You oh, can't you give... have a single story house. It doesn't matter if it climbs stairs. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be cool if Roombas climbed stairs. It'd be like those like those death robots of the you know the th- like the thing where there's those creepy videos from Boston Dynamics where people are like kicking robots. Yeah, I don't I have, like those I have, at all. I have seen that. Um, no, I I have a big Roomba topic or kind of update, I guess, that I've been saving for a slow week, and we're we're about to hit the. Uh, dog days of summer as you're famous for calling them so uh, maybe you've you've doomed us all (laughs) maybe next week we can uh, get to that uh we'll see fauci doesn't think that's going to be uh that likely Mm. uh anyway so yeah so more coffee follow-up next week all right uh so we've got some stuff to talk about related to last week's wwdc so what do you got so um, as is tradition during WWDC, uh, John Gruber had a very special episode of the talk show. Uh, he normally does it live. Um, you, I think, have set up some type of like fancy script or something to notify you when tickets go on sale, which has been convenient because they sell out very quickly. So we've been able to go uh, the last couple of years. And obviously... That wasn't in the cards here in 2020, so instead Gruber did a um, video conference-based um, version of the show. Um, same two guests he's had on uh, a few times, Craig Federighi and uh, Greg Joswiak. I'm only about halfway through it, um, but I'll, I'll, I'll put a copy um, or a, a link rather uh, to the YouTube video in the notes i've actually just been listening to it uh via audio but so that ios 14 picture in picture thing would be real handy right now uh, yeah exactly oh you mean well also he put it in the podcast feeds never mind that's probably what it was uh yes that that is that is what it was but you're right that would have been a good use for uh picture in picture so can, can i quick quick sidebar or a bit of a tangent on this sure um so i haven't listened to or watched this and i'm pretty sure i'm going to skip it would you say it is skippable? I would say it's good just to kind of have on in the background. I think we, we've talked about this maybe briefly on the show before, but, you know, Carlos, the podcast debt, um, just given my kind of new daily schedule and the fact that I'm no longer commuting, it's the, the podcast that's getting bad. Um, and so now more than ever, I, I've been kind of having to find um creative ways to listen to podcasts and one of those ways has been just to sort of accept the fact that there are some podcasts I, i'm going to listen to while working and i'm i'm not very good at kind of digesting podcasts that i listen to while doing something else um that that also you know requires my attention but yeah there basically are some shows or some episodes of shows where 
if there are certain little bits that I miss, I'm I'm okay with that. And so this um, episode of the talk show kind of has fallen into that category where I just kind of had it on in the background today and was, you know, catching, you know, maybe 60 to 70% of it. Gotcha. Uh, you missed an opportunity to use uh, in these uncertain times. Mm, I'll, I let you, I'll let you pass on that. Yeah, we'll we'll come, we'll we'll try it again later. <laughs> um, yeah, I I don't think I intend to listen to this. Like, I this has been something that's kind of been bothering, or the, something that just it's it's a trend that I feel like just has made many podcasts this week very skippable. Well, one in terms of the talk show, it's been skippable because it's been the live episode which has this um very um planned pr talk show episode and then i think one of them was matthew panzerino and another one was like dan so th- there's been three episodes in a row of the talk show that um uh are seem very skippable but kind of the i want to know what your thoughts are on or you have the same perspective on these kind of apple pr tour things that they seem to be doing where Apple's had kind of like a two-pronged change to their marketing approach where they have been very active in seeding new products to YouTube reviewers. Like they did that with the Mac Pro and they've done that with a couple of other things. And in recent years, they've also made specific people available to certain technology podcasts and and they've, they've offered more of kind of like a sanctioned PR tour, so, sort of kind of like what, what movie studios used to do back when movies were a thing, where you kind of send out your celebrities and kind of with talking points, and they would they would give basically the same interview everywhere. And there was an interview on Upgrade, and, and this is no shade on Upgrade or Connect, or on any podcast that accepts uh, an Apple uh, person to do a show. But I just feel like those those interviews aren't really that worthwhile because not that stuff has to be hostile or like confrontational but it just feels like there's it's just going to be pure softball questions and the content that you're going to get is not really like it's it's just not really worth the time would you say that's fair or unfair yeah i, I would say that's fair i mean the, the way that i see these interviews um is i'm just not really sure what the, what the point of them is like i'm not learning anything per se um there's there's generally no follow-up or pushback to any of the responses given so i just i just don't yeah i don't really understand what the what the point is or as a as a listener what i'm really supposed to be getting out of them like it feels like i could just go to Apple's website and look at the product or software that's being talked about and just basically get all the same information in a fraction of the time. Yeah. Cause like no news is going to be broken and anybody that Apple's going to put out on like the podcast circuit is going to be somebody who's pretty well versed and in, in sticks to the talking points and kind of knows what they're supposed to talk. Like, so just nothing new is going to come out of it. And also if it's, it's similar to like an access journalism thing where you're not really going to have either a super deep or like, again, hostile is the wrong word, but something where you're challenging the person you're interviewing just because you know that you're never going to be a person who's on that short list for getting that next year. And again, it's, it's, it's definitely not an ethics thing, but I just feel like that's kind of where those interviews tend to be a bit of a snooze. And it's more of just kind of a, 
Well, yeah, like just kind of like movie movie promo where um, where Ethan Hawke is going on Conan or whatever to talk about whatever whatever the thing is. Well, I, I think so. A good example of what I'm about to talk about is ATP, and you know, not to put us on the same level as ATP, but I actually think that like <laughs> <laughs> our conversations are also a good example of this, which is, you know. I think we can often come across, and you know, ATP as well, can often come across as being overly critical or sort of always um, or very frequently at least negative about what Apple is doing and sort of what's going on in technology. But, you know, we've made this point before, like, the reason we're that way is because we do care about this stuff and we we enjoy it so much and it's a, it's such a big part of our day-to-day lives. And for me, you know, if I just want to know the tech specs or what the price of something is or what's new about it, again, like I can go to the product page on Apple's website. I can rewatch the keynote. But if I want to sort of challenge some of the assumptions that are being made about the product or some of the assertions about what it can do, it's in those sort of, you know, more kind of critical discussions where that interesting conversation comes out. And that's the type of stuff I like listening to. So, you know, the, these sort of softball interviews is just, that's not, um, that's just not what I'm, um, that's not what I'm there for. And, you know, it, it's sort of, it's interesting because and again, like this isn't to pick on upgrades specifically. It's just the first example that comes to mind. I feel like in a lot of ways, those interviews aren't a good fit for their audience because their audience is obviously going to be quite a bit more tech savvy than most. And I feel like these types of PR tour interviews are, are sort of more like mass audience oriented, which again, is not really what upgrade is. Mm hmm. So for 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 a lot of different reasons, I just I don't think these interviews are are a good fit for a lot of these shows. Yeah, no, like I I think that's absolutely right. Like I assume people still want to listen to them. And again, like I mean, big respect to like like I I I really appreciate that Relay is kind of to a point where it is like considered like kind of in the top tier of like tech podcasts. Like I mean, like I I really respect that just because like Jason and Mike and Stephen and uh federal like all, all of them like work really hard to do what they do as best they can so i do feel that that's a reflection of really strong work that they do but yeah like i mean it kind of, the similar thing we're both saying which is just kind of the, the content and what you're getting isn't really there just because there's a lot of different dynamics at play that influence maybe how um how detailed or um truly like um investigative is the wrong word but just like kind of just what what you're actually going to get out of it versus just what's already publicly available knowledge yeah and i you know i guess to um close the onion or whatever we do here um on on this topic to bring it back to the episode of the talk show that sort of kicked this off i'll give gruber credit in that i actually think that these wwdc specials that he does are a bit more um 
well, I mean, I guess like the 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 simple word for it is just interesting, but they they go a little they go a level deeper, I think, than what most of these other Apple PR interviews do. And a good example from this um, year's episode, which I think is I don't know twenty thirty minutes in, maybe. I, if you're not going to listen to the whole thing, I actually would recommend listening to this part. Gruber actually asked a really interesting question to Craig about like. You know, so you've got Catalyst and you've got Swift and Swift UI. You know, you're also still supporting AppKit as a developer, like, or like basically, like, what are you telling your developers is the best tool to use, given that you kind of have like all these different options that are out there? And I like Craig. I thought it was a really good question. I thought Craig actually gave a a really good answer. So, um, yeah, like, and I'll okay. So you've convinced me. I'll I'll give that a listen. But also, and that and that's one of the things where Craig is a like he's he's unflappable. But also, you are correct where he, when pushed, will kind of give like little nuggets or kind of be candid about it, and it makes it feel like you're getting more insight into the strategy of the company. But also, you understand that. No, that's but that anything he says was already pre-approved, sort of. And he and he's probably the person who's pre-approving it, but he's just like they're he's not going to say something that shouldn't get out there, right? He 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 at least comes across as being very genuine, and that actually probably is a result of exactly what you just said, which is he can ultimately kind of decide what he wants to say. But I mean, given his position at Apple and how long he's been there, he's he's not gonna stray too far away from kind of the the company line yeah all right um yeah a couple things so this we probably don't have to talk too much about but um you could throw the link to the tweet in there so uh steve trout smith um found somebody who had the developer um developer transition kit is it develop it doesn't matter the dtk uh, they uploaded a Geekbench score, which kind of shows how the A12Z performs compared to a uh, 2012 iMac. And I mean, the results are kind of what most people would expect, but it's pretty interesting um, to kind of see on paper that an iPad running, o- or sorry, that the iPad processor running OS 11 is as, as fast or faster than most Macs. So, Well, and, and I think what's interesting is that the the consensus is, and I totally buy into this, that Apple's not just going to take the latest iPhone or iPad processor and slap it in a Mac. Like there's going to there's going to be a, a separate line of Mac Apple silicon. So you'd assume that they're going to they're going to get even more performance out of these processors that are that are designed specifically for the Mac. Well, they're not just going to slap it in a Mac, they're going to slap it in a Mac and charge 3 times the price. So I I actually have I have a quick question for you. Yes, counselor. <laughs> so you are, you know, you're in the market for a new iMac or maybe a new iMac Pro. It seems like there's enough rumors to suggest that we're going to get a new iMac that's still going to be Intel based. So this question is strictly just sort of hypothetical. It doesn't seem like this is actually going to be the way that things go. But but humor me here for a minute. Let's say that Apple comes out with a a redesigned iMac or iMac Pro, but they only offer it in with this new Apple 
silicon architecture like what would you what would you do with that would you just jump on board or would you have reservations for it not being intel based say again so i'm sorry so you're saying that there's going to be an imac revision but it's if it's uh running an apple silicon based processor would i buy it exactly that won't be the case, so I reject the question. Well, that, then that's that's how I caveat it. It's, it seems like there's enough rumors to say that we're going to get at least one more Intel-based rev of the iMac. But I'm just saying hypothetically. I'll explain my thinking. So I just sent you a screenshot of the reason why no matter what gets released, I need a new iMac. Is no matter what I do, like I'm just always running against the limit of a 500 gigabyte SSD on the inside of my Mac where even though I already have like external storage plugged into it, it it's getting um, annoying frequently enough where even if the next, like the, the part where I don't know what I would do is if there's a new iMac, but there's no new iMac Pro. I feel like I would really begrudgingly get a new iMac just because I actually looked at it and I pulled, a, I, I searched for the receipt uh, sometime last week and I have a, um, this iMac that I'm using is over five years old. And it's still, I mean, it's still a good computer, but the storage issues I'm running into is kind of a bummer. So it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to have to get another one, even though I know this would probably be the last Intel Mac I ever buy. But like, it's going to stink if it's not an iMac Pro where I'm, because I guess let me, let me phrase it this way. Do you think if there's an updated iMac, is it going to be the literally the exact same design? Well, I, I don't know. I, I was going to say that sort of co the common sense answer would be that Apple would wait to introduce the big redesign for when they they come out with a version with their own processor. But the counter to that would be, you know, they completely redesigned the what used to be 15-inch MacBook Pro, now the 16-inch MacBook Pro, and they did that while still being on Intel and, and presumably having that machine be, you know, maybe a year and a half away from going Apple Silicon based. So, so I, I don't, I don't know. Um, I guess I'm kind of, I'm kind of 50, 50 on whether they, they'd introduce the, the redesign as part of this last Intel release or whether they would hold that for the first Apple Silicon release. Yeah. So that's, that's the only thing that would cause me pause, which is if it's, like, because I, I could deal with it if they, re like, it just doesn't make sense if they were to basically just throw current generation Intel processors in an iMac and change nothing and call it a day. Just because at that point, like, there are, it sounds like there are very strong rumors that the first two Apple Silicon-based Macs will be a revised 13 or 14-inch MacBook Pro and a 24-inch iMac which does sound like it would be a different form factor just because I think right now the current screen size is on IMAX. Uh, well, I mean, it's obviously the 27-inch, but there's also, I think, a 21-inch. I don't think there's a 24 right now. So that sounds like those are going to be the first two computers, and those are probably going to be out at the end of the year or early next year. So at that point, like, if it's just a speed bump in the current, like, 27-inch iMac, like, it feels not worth it. Um, and I would kind of very begrudgingly upgrade only because i'm running into this super annoying storage issue um 
because like I, I I would at the very least want this as an excuse to upgrade to like something that's I similar to the iMac Pro where you get the better cooling. And when I'm doing things that are processor intensive, it doesn't sound like there's a 737 Max like taxiing for takeoff or something. So I don't know. Um, can I can I ask you a question here? Sure. Upgrading your iMac because of storage kind of seems like a lame slash very solvable. It's not though. So let me explain. Okay. So right now uh, I have a uh, one terabyte Samsung T5 SSD attached to my Mac. And that alleviates a lot of the issue, but there's a lot of things that do need to be on the internal, like the primary storage disk to not cause issues. And one of the, like one, like I don't like having optimized storage on for like photos.app. Like I want full res copies of my iCloud photo library on my Mac. And that you run into issues if you don't have your photo library on your primary storage disk. And Lightroom, especially with the A7R4 that generates 60 megapixel images, having like full-size previews can like, depending on how many photos you've taken recently. And again, like most people aren't going out much, so that's happening less and less recently. Like just importing like 600 photos and then building one-to-one previews for editing, like that can just suddenly chew up 30 gigs of memory on your primary storage disk. So I get your point where you would think, hey, just throw a flash drive or add an uh, add like an external hard drive to it. And I mean, I have plenty of storage on a Synology, but it's there's a lot of stuff that does need to live on the internal memory where I'm running into enough annoyance where that's the reason. So how much internal storage do you think you're going to need on your next iMac? Like, it's the same reason why, like, this issue was so frustrating where on the 13-inch MacBook Pro I got, I got the 2 terabyte just to, like, future-proof myself. How much extra does that cost? I think it was, like, 375 or something with the discount. Okay, that's actually, that's not, that's not too bad. So, I mean, that, that's, that's the reason where, like, I mean, this computer, like, I do want it to be faster, and I, I wouldn't, like... That is the one thing where when I first got this computer, I got the like the maxed out four gigahertz i seven whatever, and I think it's I think it's a quad core, but um I wouldn't call it slow, but it's not it's not that speedy anymore, so it, it wouldn't really be a yeah I don't know it's it's fine like it's it's not really something where I'm trying to rationalize a new computer purchase like I mean because I could deal with this if there was a way to swap out the the internal SSD, but alas, there's not. I guess the nice thing with sort of how things have worked out for you is having recently upgraded your laptop, and if you can get one more good, solid revision of that iMac or ideally iMac Pro with an Intel processor. Oh, I can just let be... everybody else beta test the other stuff for two years before. Yeah, I can... yeah, exactly. And that's and that's similar to how a friend of the show, Syracuse, um, kind of justified his Mac Pro, knowing he's like, there's a very good chance that this is the last like flagship uh, Intel-based Mac that Apple makes. And he's like, I'm fine with that just because my old computer lasted so long and it's going to be supported for quite a while. And whenever I have to upgrade, I'll, I'll deal with it. But overall, it was worth it to him. I mean, of course, my situation is very different than him using, I think, uh, using a 2008 Mac Pro that didn't support USB 3 and a whole bunch of other weird stuff. But anyway, so yeah, uh, my my hope is that they update the iMac Pro in some way 
or that the 20 whatever iMac they release even if it's the consumer grade one is redesigned in some way to incorporate the better cooling that it they learned from in the iMac Pro and hopefully the upgrade is worthwhile i'm going to be super bummed if it's only storage just cuz i don't really know what like i could do to fix this so and i don't want to sit on it for another year just cuz like it it's an annoyance i run into like multiple times a week how do you get around it I just have to go tell Lightroom to like, you know, like every photo from 2019, just delete the previews for, mm. which is like it. And it's, it's a workable solution, but then it's really annoying when I want to go like go back to an album or something. And then I have to go either each photo will then take like four seconds to read the full 62 megabyte file from the Synology over the network or, and, and it, that takes four seconds or I have to go say, okay, yeah, every photo from this date, go build one-to-one previews. I go walk away for 15 minutes and make a latte and then, especially maybe the Barista Express actually works out for that. Maybe that's going <laughs> to avoid having to get a computer. Maybe. Anyway, uh, where did this come from? WWDC benchmarks. So, yeah, I'm I'm excited to see what happens, but I, I honestly don't think that's g- going to happen for a while. Yeah, I don't know. All right, and then lastly, <laughs> um, yeah, I promise after this I'll stop talking. Uh it sounds like Jason Snell may, so he he, if you will remember, um, has was the one who was kind of pining for the um, resurrection of the iBook, and he wanted an i uh, like an iPad laptop really really badly. And I had made this point on last week's episode, and I and I thought it was a novel, like I like I thought like this wasn't me just parroting somebody else's idea. Like I thought this was an organic thought that most of the changes cosmetically that are being introduced in OS 11 are most of them point to the fact that they're making a lot of it more touch friendly. Not that they're going to pull like a surface and make it so that your primary form of interaction with the Mac is touch based, but that it would be very likely that they could introduce like a surface studio like thing or some type of convertible laptop where Touch is an option. It's not the default, but it's an option. And it sounds like there's some other people who kind of agree with me, and I think it feels like that might be Jason. I I thought Jason's summary, I think this was on the Six Colors Secret Subscriber podcast, where he made the point that basically Apple's headed towards a situation where if you want a touch-first device, you can get an iPad. But then the iPad also offers kind of this secondary keyboard and cursor mode. And then if you want a device that's that's more focused for a keyboard and mouse, you can get a Mac. But then the Mac will also kind of have this secondary option of also being a touchscreen. And I thought that was actually a really smart take and would actually be kind of a cool setup i think because you'd kind of you'd kind of get the best of both worlds across apple's entire product line without making a lot of the big compromises that a device like the the surface had to yeah and this was kind of always the promise where like do you remember like i think this was maybe in the middle of when we were in college where Microsoft was trying really hard to make uh, convertible laptops that had like pen input a thing. Right. Where you could just kind of like 
swivel around. Like, so they were, the hinge was different. It's not like the Lenovo yoga where you just straight up just like bend the screen back way further than you think you should. And then it becomes like a, a reverse laptop. But these were where you would rotate the screen 180 degrees and then fold it back where that's kind of been the dream for me. That's kind of why, like I'm, uh, I have an iPad pro that's from forever ago. It's the very, very, very first iPad pro, but like I bought the pencil and I, and I bought into the whole thing. And it's because I'm somebody who always has kind of the dream that sometimes I can just use some type of computing device like paper. And that's always kind of been the dream with the iPad, but it's just that it's so bad at everything. Sorry, in my, in my personal use case, it's it's so horrifically bad at everything else that that doesn't work. But if there was like a new 14 inch MacBook pro where you could like flip the screen back and it become, you can have an Apple pencil and it's now a Mac that sometimes you can just directly use like paper or if I'm in some type of creative app, I can sketch with it. Like that's really cool. But the Mac is still mostly what the Mac is. And that's where the, yeah, that analogy totally makes sense where the iPad can kind of be uh, a more traditional laptop device when you want it to, but that's not its forte. And the Mac can be what it is, but sometimes it might have supplementary touch. And I feel like Apple could probably do that a lot better than uh, Windows has, especially since when Microsoft has had to outsource most of that kind of marriage of software and hardware to other people. And even though they make their own lines of computers, the like tepid and kind of lackluster response to touch-based Windows computing is probably based off people's interaction with other stuff. And also Microsoft generally, they other than outside of Office, they don't really care about what first-party software on Windows looks like. Like they, Microsoft doesn't make like Logic or Final Cut or anything like that, where the only thing they care about is selling subscriptions to Office. And that kind of shows and why there's not a good example for what a good mouse and keyboard, but also touch-based application should be. And I feel like Apple would probably set a better example. Yeah, I think that's a key point. And, you know, the other big thing is that this hypothetical approach that Apple could take is just a different way of looking at the relationship between a keyboard and mouse and also supporting touch or vice versa, where I think Microsoft's approach has been sort of wrongly thinking that it was possible to have a single device that was equally good at both supporting a keyboard and mouse and touch. Whereas Apple is, I think, more wisely looking at each of their devices and saying, you know, we, we kind of have like this primary method of input, which we think this device is best suited for. And then there's kind of like this secondary mode that you can use for these kind of specific cases or, or one-off scenarios. And that's a, that's a much more realistic way to think about it. And I think ultimately, ultimately just leads to a kind of a, a better a better experience than with Microsoft where I, they've kind of ended up in a situation where it's sort of like you know what's the expression like good at everything but master of none or whatever <laughs> jack jack of all trades master of none but yeah close enough <laughs> i try oh, i like it all right cool um yeah so anyway so we'll we'll see um yeah i i do think there's um what was the old thing on 538? 
in terms of impeachment fire. Yeah, I think I think there's a whole lot of smoke, but I don't I'm not sure if there's fire yet. Yeah, I um I'm really I I'm I'm convinced. I mean, I, I was not convinced at all because I hadn't really even thought about this when we talked last week, but since we talked and then with everything else that's come out in the last week, I'm convinced that this is this is actually is the direction that Apple's headed, but what I'm fascinated by is whether this is something they try to do with the first iteration of these Apple Silicon-based Macs or whether touch is something that maybe comes a bit further down the line. Yeah, maybe. I like. I feel like they would just pull out all the stops like at the beginning, so I, 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 I wouldn't... Not that like Apple feels like they owe anybody anything, but it feels like it would be strange to introduce the first generation of Apple Silicon based Macs and then be like in uh, eighteen months, oh, and, and now and now it's got a touchscreen. Like that that feels like if you were going to make some type of fundamental input method paradigm shift, that that would be something that you would do in tandem with that release, right? And and it and it does sort of lead to this this great reveal that they could do which ties back to how they sort of talked about these apple silicon macs at wwdc last week around how you know these apple created processes are, are going to allow them to do so many different things that they're not able to with with intel and you know what better example of that than to be able to say you know you can now have the you know the same great touch experience that you've been used to on your iPhone or iPad. Yeah. And let's shift some stuff around. Because uh, I, I, I want to make this uh, a brief show tonight. Because there's not actually a whole, like a whole lot of news. We have, we have a whole lot of random quickie topics that I think we can jump around in. And, you know, let's, let's aim for 66 minutes. Okay. Um, uh, actually, well, this, I guess this is going to be the Microsoft and Apple show. So earlier this week... Uh, the one that's not Apple. Microsoft announced that they're sorry, brain fart. Uh, that they're closing all of their retail stores. It sounds like they're going to keep four store opens as what are called "quote unquote" experience centers, which mm-hmm. uh, so, like so, some other companies do this. I think like uh, Samsung and a few others just have like these weird like um uh, like urban center like destination stores where they're not really in the business of selling anything. It's mostly just a place where you can invite press to look at stuff whenever you need to. And then they're just open as kind of a, like a mini museum to the brand. Um, so yeah, it looks like they are, unfortunately, I, how, I don't know how many they, did it say how many they have in total? I mean, I guess just given the areas that I've lived in in my life, it kind of feels like there's a lot of them, but um there are 116 apple store apple stores <laughs> um and also please find the link i'm sorry i'm uh not actually being helpful today uh joe a uh, friend of the show joe uh, tech jojo joanna stern had a good um tweet about apple could just buy up the stores and they already have the glass in the wood they're ready to go pretty, <laughs> pretty good and then i think uh gruber replied but it's the wrong kind of wood and it was, it was good good time out on twitter by all uh see so about 116 microsoft stores in four countries uh 107 in the u.s so yeah that was kind of a lot of them and it's always been kind of that weird thing where everybody is just, it's always just kind of the the joke that oh yeah there's always more employees than customers and and it's um and on the <laughs> again follow out for the six scholars podcast but 
uh jason said anytime he ever went by it was just a bunch of kids from uh like redwood high just at the mall playing xbox so i don't know like i I appreciate that microsoft was trying and also like i felt like that's one of the things that like not that it was a big like they weren't really breathing down apple's neck but it was good for them to have those stores to kind of show like what the non-apple option is just because like best buy is very like they don't really have a ton of brand allegiances like they have had different partnerships where they actually have like samsung store within the stores and they have those little like amazon pays for an end cap that has like a little like echo experience station and they have kind of those funky like one sixteenth of the stores like a little mini apple store but it's kind of nice that there was some other retail experiment where microsoft was trying to show like you know what, here's the best of our brand in our ecosystem, and we sell laptops that aren't filled with a bunch of crap software. And even though that's a thing that we could actually institutionally fix, they're not going to. But like, it was just nice that there was somebody else who was trying to have a clean and coherent customer, like consumer-facing experience message and even though like i mean they weren't really that successful and it was probably a, I mean, like i'm sure it was a money losing enterprise it's kind of a bummer and they in in microsoft even said as much in kind of press releases and interviews saying that this is not something that is necessarily covid related but that that definitely accelerated that process and i think there was something else like that they were maybe thinking of keeping them open because oh yeah because um they might want to keep them open for, is it really called Xbox Series X? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a bad name. <laughs> um, and they also might want to have it. And that's the other thing where Microsoft is making that Surface Neo and Surface Duo kind of like little tablet-y thingies. And that's something where you do benefit from having a first-party retail experience where you can showcase that kind of stuff. And if you're now just doing like these experience centers for tech journals and uh, maybe hoping that Best Buy has like a functioning demo is that's 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 a disadvantage. I don't know. So like I, I feel like this is a bummer, but I totally get that they were losing money on this, and eventually you have to call it a day. Yeah, I mean, it, it just Apple or geez, I, I do the same thing. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, it's all that glass. I'm looking at that picture in the Verge, and you just if you don't look at the left side. Oh man, it really is. Um, Microsoft, they. the ones that make dos right exactly um they you know they they just aren't a they're not a consumer company in the same way that that apple is so where for apple having a direct consumer presence like in in a lot of ways it's like their entire business with microsoft it's it's a segment of their business but is not is not even really the most important part of their business. So because of that, I just I just don't think that these stores ever really got maybe the um the full attention they needed and also and again maybe more importantly just didn't have the same connection to uh consumers that an Apple store does because Microsoft just doesn't have the same um relationship with consumers that that apple or even like a, a samsung does maybe 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's probably true. Like, I, I think Microsoft's a big enough company where even if they know that most of their bread is buttered through Azure and 365, like software as a service type deals, like, I feel like they have enough people to throw at this to make it successful. Where, I mean, it, Apple tries really hard, and even at, the, at, the, at their scale, they're kind of uh, stumbling a bit where Apple stores are kind of the new DMV, like pre-COVID. But yeah, makes sense where... So you're saying that you think just fundamentally the DNA of the company that their heart's not in it? Yeah. I mean, I, and I think, you know, I mean, we're kind of joking about how similar these stores look to Apple stores, but I think it's actually a good example of just sort of how it just, they always kind of came across as sort of a half-assed effort. They, they, there wasn't any sort of like original thought put into them it was basically just like hey look at what apple does let's do that too and i think if you really are (laughs) dedicated to having a retail presence like that it feels like you'd make a better effort at differentiating yourself yeah i think i think that's fair i do think they tried but i think that a lot of that ends up getting overlooked but yeah, I do give them a lot of credit for, and this is not necessarily a Microsoft Store thing, but I do think it's a, an, a company initiative that they doubled down on because of the existence of Microsoft Stores. I think they were called Microsoft Signature Edition laptops, where even though, I mean, they, they kind of uh, pivoted and started just making their own, where even beyond the Surface, they made um, the Surface Book and I think also the Surface Laptop. I'm not sure if those are unique products or not. But basically, they were just so dissatisfied with the, like the garbage that H, uh, that HP and um, Lenovo were pushing out. That they're like, you know, like we want these computers that are are crapware free, that have decent specs and run Windows well, so that at least we can try to show that if you are willing to spend an amount of money that's in the same league as Apple, and even though by comparison it's still a lot cheaper, that this is not going to be just kind of the the Black Friday special free trial of AOL 500 hours junkware computers that you're getting at um, your Buy More or your Circuit City. So, yeah. All right. Since we're just uh, ping-ponging back and forth, uh, there are rumors that the iPhone 12, and all the rumors seem to say this very, very carefully, that it's the 12, not the Pro. Oh, sorry. This is is front of the show, Roger Quo. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, that he, that, not that he, he's not the one taking them out of the box, <laughs> that Apple will be choosing not to um, include headphones or a charger in the box of the ne- of next year's mid-range iPhone. So there's a couple of layers here, or kind of like, I guess it depends on kind of who you are, where I think your reaction might vary. Like, I think if you're somebody who just read, the, oh, who saw this in like a random headline on because this seems like one of those dumb stories that would be on like the local news. So if you're watching Channel 7 News and they're like, you can't believe what Apple's choosing not to include in the box these days and blah, blah, blah. But there's two approaches that you can take. One is that this is an e-waste story. And the second would be that this is a uh, product margins story. So I guess kind of which one do you think it is? Is it both? And kind of what's what's your read on this? Well, I think you're right in that this article is a bit cagey in places because you know one thing that I picked up on in this is that 
uh, Quo isn't really differentiating between an iPhone 12 and an iPhone 12 Pro. Rather, he's referring to basically like the iPhone 12 being an entire product range, which is made up of four different models ranging from a new small 5.4 inch device all the way up to a 6.7 inch kind of like max device. So, you know, I don't, I don't know if this rumor even is going to apply necessarily to Apple's entire phone lineup this year or not. Um, but it, it's, it's a weird rumor in that both like both don't really make sense in a lot of ways like i'm not really sure what apple's story is to people to say like well we're not providing you a charger but here's what you do or hey we're not providing you headphones but here's what you do um because like telling people to go out and buy like a third-party charger seems weird or hey buy our $150 wireless headphones that also seems weird well i mean so like apple sells all this stuff separately so if you're buying the slow crummy five watt charger and a lightning cable that's 40 bucks if you're buying the a higher end like 18 watt charger or whatever comes with wait did the iphone 11 pro come with the good charger or did it still come with the bad charger to be honest i it's the chargers that yeah it's so it's an, so it is, it is an e-waste story but yeah well so, i mean for for my very niche use case yes well no I mean, it's like well but i mean it, like that's that's where so oh so I'll, I'll i'll put a pin in that but um yeah so like i assume the thing here would be that apple would be like well we we expect you they're going to sell it as, well, we want to do something environmentally conscious, and we know that most people are upgrading from one iPhone to another, and people, and and uh, Phil Schiller is going to come on stage and be like, hey, like, and they're going to show a picture on the gigantic screen behind Phil that shows a drawer that's a rat nest of cables, except like the Apple cables will somehow look like tidier than the rest of them. And they're going to be like, oh, everybody, doesn't this look familiar? Everybody has a, a drawer full of cables, and we want to be part of the solution. Apple is a very environmentally conscious company. And we want to make sure we're not contributing to the problem. So we know that most customers never, like we've we've done research and we found that 82% of customers never even unwrap their charger from the box. And we feel that that's wrong. And we, we as an industry leader, can make a, a dent in this. And they're going to come up with a bunch of that stuff, which is all entirely valid. But um, my problem, or where, where I feel like this is going to fall down, where... If Apple tries to make this sound like altruistic, and and I th- and I don't think Apple is evil. I think that is going to be part of it. Is that they need to make the pricing of their chargers not insane? Like because if you wanted to buy the bad charger that comes in the box, yeah, it's it's, it's forty bucks. It's twenty for the cable, twenty for the bad charger, thirty if you want the nicer charger. So you're now t- you're now charging somebody basically fifty dollars for what the thing would have come in. So that's kind of a bummer for customers. So if they somehow make it so that when you're ordering your iPhone, you can say yes, I want the charger, and it's like fifteen dollars or something. Then I mean that that's cool, and that's going to be weird for people who buy it through like a carrier store or um, like Best Buy. But like they'll figure it out. 
So I think Apple can walk the line and find a way to position this where they end up looking like the good guy. But it's it is a very fine line between looking super stingy and there being stories on local news saying your brand new iPhone uh, needs fifty dollars in accessories to even be charged past the first time or something dumb like that. So and 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 that goes to your point where you like most of us like I mean mine anytime I buy a new iPhone the charger never comes out of the box. One, we're using wireless chargers or we already have one of five chargers scattered around the house. So like that one just stays wrapped up nice and tight and you're either reselling the phone or you're doing the iPhone upgrade program. So that that is absolutely a valid case. And um, Dieter Bone said that, yeah, I understand there's gonna be a lot of silly takes about this, but I actually think this is good from an e-waste perspective. And I do think that's true. But again, it all comes down to whether or not Apple continues to nickel and dime people about what that actually costs. I don't think they would ever push people towards third-party charging accessories, but the fact that they also don't make their own first-party charger uh, that's wireless is still kind of weird. But yeah, so I think we're both right. <laughs> oh, but but they they made air power, right? Uh, I think you're thinking of air tags. <laughs> <laughs> or actually, I think you're thinking of the Apple TV set. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Three times a week, fucking Gene Munster's face on CNBC, and I always get so mad. It's it's like the you know you know the Twitter meme where they have Leonardo. I I don't know what movie this is from, but they have Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the TV. Um, hmm. I I don't know if I'm familiar with that one. Hold on, I can type fast. DiCaprio. <laughs> Um, did you literally search for Leonardo DiCaprio pointing? Damn right I did. Google knows <laughs> what I mean. If I'd asked Siri, uh, it would not have worked that way. You've seen this, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, from, <laughs> from well, it, it says it right here, from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I don't know what this movie is. I d- and every time I always think, hey, I should look up what that's from. Because uh, I, I don't know any movies where Leonardo DiCaprio is some guy who just drinks a beer in a rundown apartment. Uh, yeah, the, the lady friend and I watched this not too long ago. I don't think it's a movie for you, but I really liked it. <laughs> she 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 did not. Okay, so wait, well, Ashley, Ashley, don't tell me. It, it is you are probably right. Whenever somebody says something's not for me, they probably it's, they're usually right. It's a, it's a um, Quentin it's a Quentin Tarantino movie. Oh, so I, it's, it's, it's 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 overly vulgar and violent. Got it. Co- cool. Correct. Thank you. What was I pointing about? The why, why was he pointing? Oh, Gene Munster. Yeah, anytime I, I'm like I'm just on uh, on a call or I'm doing something, and then I turn around and fucking Gene Munster's on CNBC. I always feel like point this meme basically. Anyway, okay. Um, all right, do you want to do one last tiny story or call it a night? I'm gonna do one last tiny story. Um, oh, okay. So, well, let's do. We're not gonna, we're not gonna say it. We're we're gonna talk about. Um, we need to find a catchy name for this that doesn't seem like a knockoff. We're going to talk about the entertainment industry. Okay. So um, so the first part is we're going to talk about YouTube TV. So do you remember a couple of years ago when there were a whole bunch of, there was were, there were Sling TV, there was Direct TV Now, there was YouTube TV. There's so many, all, the, all of these services that were going to save us from the mean old cable company. Yes. Do you feel saved? No, I don't, and I, f- I feel like we've been, we've been warning people that they weren't going to be saved for for quite some time now. 
Yeah. Like I've, I've, I feel like I get, I get it tattooed at this point where it'd be a very large tattoo. <laughs> I like I'm, my, my three sentence summary of this has always been that communications and content provider companies are always going to try to get the same amount of money from you. And it doesn't matter what it's from. They're going to figure out a way to get the same amount of money. So now all of these services and skinny bundles and whatever that people thought that they were going to get, and somehow they were going to cut their content costs per month from being $70 of their $160 cable bill down to like 20 because they're now paying some upstart company for it. Uh, it turns out when you actually try to have like a bundle of content that approaches what people seem to expect and the um, content companies that you're licensing stuff from see you as a viable business, the costs of that service will approach what it actually costs. So I don't have a, like a link to the actual story. You can, uh, hopefully find, um, a good like summary, um, or like source article from tech meme. But this tweet that I posted in Slack was from Neil Patel of the verge where his, uh, internet and TV service from Verizon is $85 a month. And this was in response to YouTube TV being increased from, I believe 45 or $49 a month up to $65 for just TV. It was a lot of money. Like, I mean, my, my Comcast bill, even for like the fastest internet I can get and like the medium cable packages is like 125 pre-tax. So yeah, not, not, not great, Bob. <laughs> not great, Bob. Ooh, the, the Hamilton film comes out tomorrow. It Wait, does. No, Friday. Mm-hmm. Ooh, uh, okay. Fr- Friday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, feels like a Thursday. <laughs> Well, I, I got confused for a second because like tomorrow feels like Friday because it's the last last working day of the week. But yeah, yeah it comes out on real Friday. Um, yeah. So, I mean, th- this is all further complicated by the fact that, you know, you know, people don't really think about the fact that, you know, their TV provider and cable or, and Internet provider are you know, 98% of the time, the same company. So, you know, Cable Town is not just going to let you happily, you know, cut your TV cable service and, you know, go internet only and, and end up paying them less money to try to access the same amount of stuff. Like they're, they're just, they're not going to let that happen. And then that's also further compounded by the fact that more and more of the content that we watch are is owned by the same companies that are that are distributing that content. So they sort of um, they own the the full stack, as you're famous for saying, Carlos. Yep. So, me, and, me and Ben Thompson. <laughs> so, you know, maybe in a scenario where there was more competition and sort of separation of ownership. Um, both between the content and who was distributing the content and between who was providing you cable TV and who was providing you internet, you know, maybe cord cutting would have a bit of a better shot. But even then, I think the, for the point that you're making is, is still valid, which is people are still going to figure out a way to, to, to get their, to get their cut. So even if there was this kind of, um, separation of powers, I guess, um, that I'm describing. (laughs) Exactly. Um, 
even with that, I, I still think that there's a lot of flaws in the idea that you're going to be able to, to pay less and get more, or at least just basically get what you want. Like that's just kind of, that's a false, uh, a false hope. Yeah. Again, I mean, we, again, we've been on this beat, but my whole point has always been that if, uh, what's it called? What's yeah? What's what's VoIP for video? VoIP for video? Yeah. What's the Zoom? No. What are you What are you talking about? Um, it's not video on demand. Okay, it's fine. Oh, over oh, over the top? Not really. Oh, whatever. HBO Max. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! Well played. <laughs> um, yeah. Like if fuck. Um, <laughs> If something like Sling TV or YouTube TV um, ever ended up being a threat and people were actually like, oh, this is so much cheaper, or this is so much better, all they would do is just adjust the data caps to the point where you were now paying. And, and if people were cutting the cord in droves and no longer wanted to be video subs from these MSOs, they would just uh, uh, reduce the data caps to the point where if you don't have a video product cut from that company, you would then run into overage territory on your data plan so that you were still getting the same amount of money. And they would do that to the point that it became untenable for you to have separate video subscriptions. It's like it just doesn't make like there there and and I will totally acknowledge that that seems sketchy and probably illegal. But like that's well, actually, it's there. It's Ajit Pai and it's the Trump administration. Nobody's nobody's gonna pursue this. But yeah, like really, like the total overall spend. People need to think of entertainment and communication services as one thing. And even though I know people really don't want to, and they think that that's wrong, that's the way it is. So you have to think of those two things combined, so that the big bad cable company deal often is not actually that bad, and the margins on the video services were never really that good. And everybody is trying to hedge really hard on that, which is why. AT&T is shh, not use a swear word is putting out a very half-assed video on demand or over the top product in the form of HBO max, which nobody understands. And the marketing is terrible for because they're trying to make sure they're competitive against Comcast, who has a somewhat more coherent advertising strategy for Peacock and is leveraging all of their existing video subscribers to make that whole thing work. And that's going across uh, Netflix, who has apparently infinite money or willingness to um, uh, issue debt in order to fund their um, original content aspirations. Like it's, it's it's all just a gigantic mess and a weird land grab right now. And just the customers who think that they're somehow like I, I love on Twitter where you'll have some people who kind of think they're having an original take about. Oh, look, I'm now paying 15 a month for Netflix and this for Hulu and this for HBO now. And this is a bad deal. And the answer is, of course, yes. Well, and, and it's it's sort of um, and this is a point that we've made a bunch in the past is, is cord cutting is almost. Um, God, there's a, there's another expression that I'm, I'm feeling to come up with here, Carlos. <laughs> it's um, it's forgetful Fridays. It, it's a. Uh, <laughs> It's a solution in search of a problem. I think I got that one right. Um, where, Maybe. well, so I mean, I feel this way. I, I don't want to speak for you, but 
you know, I, I feel like what I pay Comcast each month is generally pretty fair. Like if I think about the quality of internet service I get and the, the TV service that I get, you know, between those two things, you know, 70% of the time at home, I'm, I'm using one of those two things throughout the month. So, you know, I sort of feel like I'm getting a pretty good value for what I'm, for what I'm paying for. So, you know, like for me trying to cut the cord or whatever is just not, not really something I've really even thought of because I don't really think I'm overpaying for anything currently. So I'm I'm going to bring this all back together and, and respond to that. So I, th- I think you're right, but I think, feel like this kind of goes back to Microsoft stores where I'm kind of happy that like the, like the sling TV and YouTube V YouTube TV exist because I feel like if they didn't Comcast, like I feel like my comp, my video subscription, that's part of my Comcast package is sorry. My my Comcast Xfinity package is more useful because they have apps like um what is it called they keep renaming it uh comcast stream what's it called yeah xfinity stream where i'm able to access in my home i'm able to access every channel that i could get through my normal subscription and then depending on licensing i'm able to access most of it um if i'm out of home and then also in the same way that my Comcast subscription also allows me access to all of like the ESPN 360. No, that's out of date. Whatever, whatever the non-premium over-the-top. God, this this is such a mess. Um, yeah, the thing where you can watch ESPN outside the house. Um, if those like Sling TV and YouTube TV things didn't exist, I feel like Comcast would be less motivated to support anything that's not just like the cable that comes into your house so in that sense i'm glad that they exist in the same sense that i feel like microsoft stores sort of barely put pressure on apple to kind of stay on their game and not to say that comcast is apple but i feel like i'm glad that stuff exists because comcast would be very very happy to try to make you have an x1 box and like just have crappy cable so i think I, I think it's an ecosystem that right now sort of works mm-hmm. but the people who, who were idealistic and thought that they were gonna have this amazing experience and they were gonna pay 13 dollars a month and just only subscribe to food network hgtv and msnbc and pay like four cents for it are not <laughs> living that dream <laughs> no because that that's been the false promise of everything like um you know like small government Hmm. <laughs> and with that chef specials <laughs> oh man um let's do it so i've got a um i've got both a link which i'm gonna send you here and then i think i also have a photo for you that i that i took of this in so point of action. order was yes was this not already I feel like I, I the term knockbox is very familiar in my head. So I had brought this up to you um, a few weeks ago when we were both sort of talking about like our next um, espresso related accessory purchase. 
But at that time, I had not actually uh, purchased anything. Got it. So in the um, intervening time, I have purchased. And I'm, I'm sharing with this, sharing this to you, kind of in the wrong channel, I think. But iOS is being weird and is only letting me share it there. <laughs> um, but this is so. This is the Breville Knockbox Mini. Um. So for I guess first, um, just as a little PSA to the listeners, because we, we like to help people here, Carlos. If if you're in the market for one of these things and you're like me and want to get a Breville one to to you know, sort of you know go with your Breville espresso machine, Breville makes two different knock boxes. They make <laughs> what's basically like their regular one and then the the knock the knock box mini. And I actually had <laughs> the regular is it one. The mini? It is. That's yeah. awesome. Um, I had the regular one in my cart. Uh, on Amazon because it, you know, prime shipping, it was like in stock, ready to go. Whereas the, you know, the mini was out of stock on Amazon and, and in general appeared harder to find. So I had it, I had it in my cart was like ready to, to check out. And then I had this thought like, well, I should, you know, I should check to actually see like what the size of this thing is. Because as you can see, um, in the photo that I sent you, you know, it, the, the espresso machines in a you know particular spot of the kitchen where, you know, there's only a certain amount of counter space. And I looked up the um, the dimensions and the regular size one is absolutely enormous. It's huge. Like having that at home seems totally silly. Like having this in a coffee shop where you're, you know, making a ton of espresso makes sense. But having a knockbox that big at home just seems kind of crazy. Um. Whereas the 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 mini version is a much much more reasonable size, but it ended up being quite a bit harder to find. Um, but I was eventually able to find it through uh, friends of the show, <laughs> Bed Bath and Beyond. Um, <laughs> although you know, even they now appear to be out of stock of this thing. So, um, got this a couple of weeks ago have been been very happy with it it kind of beats um <laughs> beats um knocking the porta filter on the side of my trash can which always just seemed kind of gross um it's convenient having it right next to the espresso machine it can make a bit of a mess but i've i've gotten better and better at sort of um finding the right angle to be holding the porta filter at to make sure that, you know, basically all of the espresso ends up actually in the the box instead of on the on the counter. Um so yeah, quick simple. question. Yeah. So and I I'm just clarifying cuz I'm looking this up on Seattle Coffee here. So is this to like remove excess coffee before you pull the shot or is this to deposit the used little like brownie bites this is to this is to deposit i think in the the correct lingo here carlos is is the puck no that's that's what the dogs eat at, at the hp pavilion <laughs> no i think i think it really is called the the puck okay uh so that it, this is to deposit that after you've pulled your espresso shot got it did we clarify if, if I'm if I'm killing whales by dumping it into the sink? I did ask about that, and I've, I've been, 
the the lady friend's dad okay who's a bit of a espresso guru and i've i've been told that that's okay to to dump it down the sink correct okay all right so that's cool does it well actually i have a question though so do you empty this daily or like how what's because the one thing about the espresso pucks is that uh not that they smell bad but they do have an odor um so i actually think in general they smell they smell pretty good slash they don't really end up smelling like a lot i don't think so i i haven't noticed any particular smell or anything um i mean this holds about eight or so of those pucks so no i I don't empty it every day i empty it maybe every few days okay i appreciate that that if people back out the math that that means you're you're doing like four cups a day i like it (laughs) well between between me and uh the lady friend yes well and the baby well yeah we've been trying to get i assume you do a single shot for the baby though yeah we've been trying to get her to cut back on the caffeine but Mm -hmm. we're still working on it yeah um, but yeah, you know, and, and the, the nice thing too, is that this, you know, lets you then easily compost, um, the pucks, which, which I like, um, it's easy to empty too. the little, um, bar that you actually, you know, knock the portafilter against that, that just quickly comes out so that you can then, um, you know, empty everything out real, real neatly. So yeah, looks nice. Very functional. Um, but I guess potentially something that Breville's not going to be selling anymore, it seems like, because it's basically sold out everywhere. Gotcha. Or that there's everybody's having like a run on becoming like stay-at-home baristas or whatever. Could be that, or it also could be that we're weeks away from the uh, Breville Knockbox Mini 2 being released. Oh, I thought you were going to say Breville Knockbox powered by uh, um, Apple Silicon or Breville Silicon. Well, maybe that too. Um, so I have a, I'm not sure if this is necessarily a pick or maybe just a convert, uh, this as a jumping off point. I'm not sure if we've covered this, so I will send you and if not in uh, oval office, I'll, I know, sorry, I've, I've, I've thrown you off here. That's all good. So the one thing, so we've, we've talked about the barista express being kind of like an all in one solution where it comes with almost everything that you need, <laughs> except, except for you not not using it for anything well correct because i gotta make everything fussier and harder and better uh yeah Mm -hmm. Uh uh-huh uh-huh so it doesn't come with or maybe i threw it out without paying attention it doesn't come with any like things to pull the espresso shot into yeah that that's true have we covered what you're using for that so it's it's actually featured um in the photo that i sent you it's on top of the is it the maple syrup jug well the gravy it, boat it's actually a um it's actually like you, you'll see these like in um pizza and stuff it's 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 specifically for um espresso um and i i had bought it um i had bought it on amazon um a while back i'm trying to remember oh i i remember what it was the the lady friend had one of those um nespresso machines that she had, uh, that she had had for a long long time and and when we moved in together we continued to use that for for a bit and so um i had bought that uh for um 
if I was making like a, a latte or something with that Nespresso machine. So I, I had already bought something similar to this and, and just continue to use that. Got it. So I guess so I'm going to, I'm going to give two picks, one coffee related, one not. So the one that I'm going to give is, I don't know if, I don't know what, uh, ever real, like th- this is like everything on Amazon. It's, it's a made up Chinese drop shipper. But these metal cups are actually very, very good. They hold exactly 2.7 ounces, which is, if you fill to the top, like kind of the perfect amount for um, a solid double shot pull. I understand a double shot is supposed to be exactly two ounces, but uh, again, don't don't make the rules. So, or I don't necessarily need to follow the rules. Wait, point of, point of order. Do mm-hmm. you, when you're pulling an espresso shot, do you manually determine? Yes. Wow. I do not do it on time or water. I do it. I, I manually stop it when I feel the need. Hmm. Oh, okay. Again, dude, there's going to be, I think I'm going to start doing some Instagram tutorials just because now I'm, I'm just, I am so in awe and like, I'm going to jinx. It. I'm never going to be able to do this, the milk frothing this well again, but I was just so amazed by how silky and shiny and glossy the, well, so I mean, I had a little homework assignment maybe for for next week's show. I kind of want to see a video of this so that I that I come prepared next week. Yeah. So depending, yeah, I, you know, three day weekend, or I mean, I don't know. Like we're gonna, we're going to see what what might happen. You, gotta, you um, have a you have a fancy camera and a little mini tripod. You can you can make it work. I have a full size tripod too because I, I I need to anyway. Well, we're, this this is all I have a whole omni focus of stuff I'm avoiding. Even though I'm trying to, I'm trying to be better about doing things. I have a whole OmniFocus project called Quarantine Minis. There's a whole lot of stuff I'm supposed to be doing, which I'm not doing. Uh, tungle that for another show, but um, yeah. Because I assume you also have a whole bunch of stuff that, you're, like, that pops into your head that you're supposed to do that you don't. Uh, I No, not at all. <laughs> all right, so these little... I, like, I like them. They're cute. Like, they're, they're 2.7 ounce metal espresso cups. They're great. I also bought a set of Delonghi, like they seem to be like the the going pick for like just glass espresso cups, and I hate them, so I only use these. It's twelve bucks for a two pack. They're great. Do they stay cool to the touch on the outside? Um, yes, like they're they're insulated where they keep the shot warm for like the short amount of time while you are um doing the milk frothing. But you but you can you can comfortably pick them up to then pour the espresso into your latte. Oh, you betcha. Yeah, like they they do not get hot at all. Nice. Um and then again, they're they're conductive for as um again, th- there'll be more follow-up to this uh, in a in a future episode, but people are very uh strict about not disrupting the crema. Mm, no, you never never disrupt the crema. <laughs> exactly. Uh anyway, sorry, my actual pick of the week, this one will be very uh quick and very boring is that on Amazon there's a company in uh called jam paper uh and basically they they sell very large envelopes to hold uh oversized and uh a non-standard sized uh photo prints this is very niche and very yeah applicable to like eight people isn't isn't this like your second non-standard sized photo chef special in the past two months didn't you it is because these are envelopes that i use to hold the funky (laughs) non-standard photo paper because who who makes envelopes for eight by 12 photos i'm guessing not many companies not many 